You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90-Minute Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and on this edition, we're going to be looking back at the Carabao Cup semi-final defeat at the hands of Liverpool. If you're watching us live, it's a very late night edition, uh, so I appreciate you being here with us. Uh, understand that it is uh, late for a lot of people, so if you are watching this back on playback, or listening to this back via the audio platforms, uh, a big hello to you guys as well. Not long walked in. Um, I think I've been home for about 15 minutes, um, maybe 20. Uh, just kind of been processing what it is that I saw tonight at the Emirates Stadium. I've watched the highlights back just quickly because, of course, uh, when you're at the game, you don't always get to... Um, you know, you don't always get to see the replays that you want, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I'm absolutely knackered. Uh, you can probably see it on my face. Um, I've come in from the freezing cold into the warm, and uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Uh, I don't really know where to start on this one. You know, I, I'm probably going to start by using a bit of a dad phrase, um, and that phrase is, "I'm not angry." I'm just disappointed. I guess that's the way to sum up how I'm feeling tonight. Because obviously Arsenal went to Anfield last time out uh, with a depleted squad, went down to 10 men pretty early on, had our backs against the wall, defended valiantly, were very organised, were very strong, were very spirited, and managed to get a result that I think convinced a lot of people um, that we would then have enough to go through or convince a lot of people that we had a better chance of winning this tie than we actually did. And look, I understand why people took a lot of confidence from that. I kind of fell into that trap as well of seeing Arsenal go to Anfield, be very, very good. And a lot of people were asking me the next day how much of it was Arsenal being very good defensively and how much of it was Liverpool being toothless without the likes of Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane, etc., etc. And the answer I kept saying was, bit of both. You know, it was a bit of both. Yes, Arsenal deserved huge praise and credit for what they managed to do at Anfield in the first leg and the fact that they brought um, a result back to the Emirates that gave us an opportunity to progress through to the final. But I think we saw tonight that a lot of that last week, as much as I don't want to take any of the credit away from Arsenal, was partly down to Liverpool being poor as well. There's no doubt about it. They're a much better side than us. They're a side who are much further down the progression line in terms of their development. It's taken Jurgen Klopp, what, five seasons, six seasons to get to this point where Liverpool are consistently one of the best sides in the country. Um, you know, the last couple of years have been very, very good for them as well. But the point I'm trying to make is that I think we kind of got sucked into this idea that Arsenal were the favourites going into this second leg. And I kept saying it in the lead up, you know, it was a straight up shootout between Arsenal and Liverpool for a place in the Carabao Cup final. And of course, we were at home. And when you're at home, you feel more confident, you feel more optimistic. And the last home performance we'd seen 
was that wonderful display against Manchester City where we all felt desperately unlucky that we didn't get anything out of the game. So you can understand why people felt optimistic. But let's start with um let, let's start with where it all kind of began. And that's obviously with the team selection. Now, when the team came out, I think in a lot of people's eyes, it was a better team than we maybe thought we might see. There were question marks over Tomiyasu, over Odegaard, over Emil Smith-Rowe, um, you know, over Bakayo Saka, who obviously picked up a knock. Uh, there were question marks around how some of those players who had played in the game against Liverpool last week had recovered because of how much we needed to put into that. But I just think there were just too many players tonight that weren't at the races physically weren't at the races in terms of sharpness and not just physically, but mentally as well. I think sometimes you see that, you know, when a player's out of match practice, you can see the decision-making is not quite being done at the speed it needs to be done. I think that one player who in, in particular for me stood out in that sense was Takahiro Tomiyasu. He really, really struggled tonight. And this is not to criticise Takahiro Tomiyasu individually and have a go at him and dispute whether or not he was a good signing. I think overall, he's been a great success for Arsenal this season. But tonight, he didn't look at the races. And I think I read somewhere, and, and bear in mind, I've literally just got home a little while ago. I've not watched the press conferences. I've not uh, sort of done a lot of kind of digging into the reaction to the game. We'll we'll dig into the reaction stuff a little bit more tomorrow on um, on one of Friday's shows. But if, if if I'm not mistaken, I read that Takahiro Tomiyasu hadn't trained, hadn't trained a single session prior to coming back into the side, but was willing to play uh, because of the fact that both Cedric and Callum Chambers were unavailable. So, you know, props to him for that. And I think I heard Mikel mention that uh, Emil Smith-Rowe hadn't trained an awful lot. Neither had Martin Odegaard. So that was clearly an issue. There was a lack of fitness. There was a lack of sharpness. And although Mikel Arteta managed to get a lot of those players out onto the team sheet, they weren't at the level whereby they would be at their maximum and be able to compete. And I think that really showed. There was just a lack of tempo in our game at certain points. There was a lack of sharpness. There wasn't that zip in our passing. There wasn't that accuracy. There was uh, tiredness in some of the way we were trying to move the ball at times. You know, people putting misplaced passes, passes that are normally your bread and butter, passes that people normally make with their eyes closed were going astray. And you just got that feeling very early on, I felt anyway, at least probably, what, 15 minutes in after a bright start, um, you just got that feeling that Arsenal weren't quite at the races. And then to concede a goal the way we did uh, from Diego Jota, obviously went on to get a couple, always bloody scores against us. But to concede that opening goal the way we did, I thought was a real sucker punch. And it was just a typical good uh, sort of away performance from a club who are just, or a side who are just much more experienced than us. And as I keep saying, much further down that progression line, the goal took the sting out of Arsenal. It also sucked the kind of air out of the crowd as well, I felt. Um, and, and the crowd were, were trying to stay with the team. And I thought for the most part, we were there. But obviously, one of the things I think is like, you go into a game and you kind of hype up what the atmosphere is going to be like. And I thought the atmosphere prior to kickoff and, and in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes or so was cracking. But when you deal with a sucker punch, you then kind of need 
something on the pitch to be a bit of a catalyst. And I think when we started the second half in a better vein, then you started to see the crowd get back with the team again. And then we conceded a second goal or started to get a little bit frustrated at the fact we weren't really creating anything too clear cut. But just to go back to that Liverpool opener, because I think that was significant. I think today was was one of those games where, um, you know, we were going to, um, you know, where, sorry, it was today was one of those games where the first goal was going to be hugely significant. And obviously it went against us. But if you just have a look at this situation again and the way it developed. Now, obviously, Takahiro Tomiyasu slips over in the lead up to this, right? And it's what allows Diogo Jota to break free, cut inside, etc., etc. But from this position, I still expect Arsenal to defend this a lot, lot better. And Jota, you know, he's a right-footed player. You know, he's going to cut in. You know what he's aiming to do. And when he gets into that central position and gets that shot off, it's a P-roller. And it rolls past Aaron Ramsdale, who I think should do better here. I guess I'm trying to think of why maybe Aaron Ramsdale really struggled with that. And I'm I'm trying to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt here. Was it because he was he was having his view blocked? Was the three defenders that ended up gathered together on the edge of the penalty area, were they blocking his view? Did he not anticipate Jota cutting the ball back across the goal the way he did? I don't know. But it just the whole nature of the goal, the opening came from a slip. Then we didn't defend the situation well enough. I don't think we did enough to confront Diogo Jota on the edge of the penalty area. He had way too much time, way too much space. And then he gets a shot off that isn't a, a, a very good shot. It isn't a particularly powerful one. It isn't a particularly accurate one. It's not right in the corner. And you're looking at the goalkeeper and you're looking at the velocity at which the ball is traveling. And you just think that's such a soft goal. And from then on, we had a mountain to climb because Liverpool, for me, they won tonight and they never really got out of second gear. You know, they never got out of second gear at all. Um, they, they were kind of cruising through. They defended well. They kept their shape well. And they trusted that when the opportunities came along, however few they were going to get, they were going to take them. You know, let's not forget they hit the post through Konate. Uh, they had a couple of other really good opportunities as well. I think the young lad Gordon put one over the top of the crossbar at the, uh, early in the second half as well. But in terms of Arsenal and in terms of what we created, wasn't an awful lot to shout about. You know, there really, really wasn't. You know, you can think of when we went close, Lacquer's free kick early on off the top of the crossbar. Not sure if Kelleher got a little hand to that. Um there was that situation. There was the chance that Lacazette missed at the start of the second half. That was a cracking chance. And we'll come on to talk about Lacazette in a minute because I think it's an important discussion and it's an important topic to make sure that we do cover. But just kind of circling back around and taking it to the Arsenal team selection, I think I worried that we were going to get done in midfield. I worried that there was a real lack of balance in that midfield. And, and I think we saw that tonight. You know, Sambi Lakonga is a, a really talented young man. And I think he's a player who will get to a very high level. But is he there now? No, he's not. Um, is he suited to being a single midfield pivot? I don't think he is. Um, did he look nervous at times in the first half? I thought he did. Was he put into difficult situations when Arsenal were trying to play out from the back? Yeah, I thought he was. 
I thought at the start of the second half, he seemed to grow in confidence. When Arsenal were having a better spell, you could see Sambi kind of getting going and taking players on and carrying the ball and playing more confident passes. And every pass had a bit more purpose, a bit more zip, a bit more tempo in it. Um, you know, he was starting to ping the ball around and I thought he looked a little bit better. But what we tried to do tonight was obviously accommodate the fact that we were really short of midfield options by asking Martin Odegaard to play in a deeper role. And Martin Odegaard was probably the best player for me in an Arsenal shirt tonight. I thought he did a lot of good on the ball. I thought he dropped his shoulder brilliantly on, on you know, uh, a few occasions to get away from people, create little bits of space, sprayed passes out into certain areas, carried the ball forward well at times. But you're asking him to play a role that doesn't suit him. You're asking him to step out of the position from which he normally affects games and go and try and affect the game in another way. And that doesn't work. I've, I've spoken about it before. I think when you try to fix one position, but you then sacrifice others to do that, I think sometimes you're doing more damage than good. Then you've got two players essentially playing out of position as opposed to one just having to do a job that may be a little bit foreign and a little bit alien to them. So asking Odegaard to drop there was, was you know, something that I don't think Mikel Arteta had much choice in when you look at who was available, but it was something certainly, in my opinion, that didn't really work for us. Um, equally, you can't leave Sambi on his own. You know, a lot of people pointed to the fact that when we went down to 10 men at Anfield, Sambi did a pretty good job where he had Saka and Martinelli either side of him. Yeah, but the difference was that there was a back three behind him. There were three centre-halves, which gives you that added stability. And tonight we went with two. So that changes things there. I, as I say, look, I, I don't even want to go in on Mikel Arteta because I don't think he got an awful lot wrong tonight. You know, I really don't. If I'm being super critical of Mikel Arteta, the only thing I would have done differently tonight, if it were me, would have been to, when Lacazette, got to the point where he was blowing out of his asshole and he was walking the disciplinary tightrope, I'd have taken him off, brought Nuno Tavares on, on the left-hand side and pushed Gabriel Martinelli through the middle. That's what I would have done. But that's the only thing I think that Mikel Arteta probably got wrong tonight. So, you know, there will be, of course, noise off the back of this. There always is. Every time Arsenal don't win a game of football, it's Mikel Arteta out. It's Mikel Arteta this. For me, that's that's not the issue tonight. Mikel Arteta was not the problem. Our options were extremely limited. You only had to look on the substitutes bench to understand that. You only had to look at the fact that we're bringing on Thomas Partey, who's just got back from the African Cup of Nations a matter of hours ago. The fact that we're having to then bring him on shows you how light we are in that area and how desperate we were uh, to try and pull something back. So I think the team selection was as good as it could have been, but, you know, we were really, really lacking in options. And as I say, you look to that substitutes bench, who inspires you? Who do you look at and feel could come on and really impact the game? Players like Emil Smith-Rowe weren't at it tonight for whatever reason. You know, fitness probably played a part in that. Bukayo Saka wasn't at it tonight. Was that due to, um, you know, being tired, burnt out a little bit? Maybe. So I just think that there was just too many players not at the races tonight for a number of reasons. Some just didn't play well. Others weren't up to it physically, clearly. But at the end of the day, when you play a team that are that much better than you, and Liverpool are that much better than us, right? I think that there is a clear gap, a 
gulf in class between Manchester City, Liverpool, and probably barring the last few months, Chelsea as well, in comparison to everybody else in the league. And I think when you consider what that gap is, you you feel like you almost need to be flawless, especially over two legs. In a one-off game, anything can happen. But over two legs, you kind of need to be flawless to get through it. And you need to be flawless to make sure that you get over the line. And I thought after the red card in the first leg, we were pretty much flawless. But tonight, we certainly weren't. There were too many players, as I say, who didn't perform at the level required, who were under par, who didn't look fit, looked as though the confidence as 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 Liverpool kind of continued to suffocate us throughout the game and made it really, really difficult for Arsenal to create anything of note. I thought that that really started to impact our confidence. You could see that this was a young team, a team that weren't quite uh, assured and, and weren't quite believing in themselves that they could go on and turn this tie around. Um, and I think the, the kind of biggest indicator of that or one of the big indicators of that was the fact that we very early on in the game abandoned the kind of passing play or, or passing football that has worked so well recently under Mikel Arteta and opted for the this this decision or this idea to give the ball to a centre-back, whether that be Gabriel, Ben White or even Aaron Ramsdale at times, and ping the ball right to Bukayo Saka on the right wing and hope that he'd beat Andy Robertson in the air or to try and do the same thing on the left-hand side and hope that Martinelli would get some change out of Trent Alexander-Arnold. And it just felt like it was a a strange approach. It was something that we don't see that often. Have we tried to hit those players and exploit those spaces in behind fullbacks? Yeah. Do we do that quite a bit? Yeah, we do. But to do it tonight when Liverpool were, were largely in deeper positions felt like a kind of we don't have an idea what else to do kind of moment. Like That's how it felt to me. It was like Arsenal were looking at it and going, well, we can pass it across the back line and we get it into the right back position and then go back centrally. But there's no penetration. There's no movement or there's not enough movement. We're not getting any joy. We're not breaking the lines. We're not breaking this team down. So let's ping it into the areas where we know our best players are and kind of hope that they can make something happen. And I thought, to be fair to Gabriel Martinelli, he was the one guy in that Arsenal team tonight where you looked at and you went, well, if anything's going to come from someone, it's going to come from him. He was a live wire all the time. I don't want to be critical of Gabriel Martinelli, but he kind of, you know, he shouldered that responsibility and, and you love that. You love your players to be brave and take that kind of thing on their shoulders. And again, please don't take this the wrong way. But there is still a bit of naivety there. There is still a bit of, I'm going to do it myself. Uh, that kind of attitude that you need at times, but also can be counterproductive at other times. And I thought the way he kind of, he, he won the ball back brilliantly and then he lost it because he held on to it for slightly too long in the lead up to Liverpool's second goal, which ultimately put the tie to bed. But yeah, just just going back to that midfield, the midfield balance just certainly wasn't there. And it's a big, big problem for us. Um, as I say, we tried to shoehorn Martin Odegaard into that deeper position. And I think, as I've said to you guys before, if you try and if you're trying to solve one problem, you don't want to create another problem while you're doing that. And I felt that's what we did. We had Smith Rowe available. We had Odegaard available. We didn't have much else. I wonder, and I don't know this for sure. And, and you know, my gut tells me that he probably wouldn't have. 
But I just wonder, had Callum Chambers been available, would we have seen him do a job in midfield tonight? For example, is the fact that he was unavailable the reason that Mikel decided to play it this way? I don't know. Um, I really don't know. But then you bring Thomas Partey on, who I mentioned, you know, returned from the AFCON just hours ago. And, um, you know, obviously was willing, obviously was was happy to help the team out. And he comes on and he gets himself sent off. And look, when you watch the second challenge back, the one that he received the second yellow card from, or for, you could maybe argue that that was a red card in itself. So we can have no complaints at Thomas Partey's dismissal. And actually, we should be counting our lucky stars that it was a second yellow card and not a straight red because the way he goes over the top of the player's ankle for me, is is obviously not right. Um, but yeah, look, I, th- I think it was men against boys. And I think we have to remember that this team are boys uh, uh, in a lot of ways. And, you know, they're still developing, they're still growing and not having options from the bench and not having any kind of way of changing it was obviously a problem. Players at their physical limit. And although we wanted to be in the Carabao Cup final, of course you do. As I've always said, the league is what matters for us this season. And so, of course, I'm disappointed, but I'm not going to kind of dwell on this for too long if we can go out on Sunday and beat Burnley. The problem here um, is what it does to the confidence. And I think when you talk about young players, confidence is a big thing. Um, that fearlessness that you kind of develop from getting results and going toe-to-toe with the very best and almost proving to yourself while you're still developing that you can compete at that level is is invaluable. And this might kill a little bit of that because we did start to see that develop, I feel. Um, So that's obviously a problem. But if you want to put a positive spin on this, and there's always a positive spin on everything, you can always find something no matter how small. I guess the positive would be that at a time where the squad is on its knees physically, really short in terms of numbers, the fact that we now only have two games in February as opposed to three that we would have had with the cup final um, unless something else gets rearranged, that at this moment we've only got two games now in February, gives us an opportunity to recover. Now, does that affect momentum? Does that affect routine? Yeah, of course it does. But I just think we could really do with that now. We could really do with that short period where we're not flat out just because of how many injuries we've got, just because of how many players uh, we've got missing. Anthony Williams says, criticise Martinelli, but not Arteta, company man, Harry. I didn't criticise Martinelli overall. I just mentioned one bit of play um, where I felt that he kind of, um, he held on to, I felt in that instance, Gabriel Martinelli held on to the ball too long. Um, you know, and and that's that. that. That's how I feel about it. I think a lot of people would agree. I think if you watch it back, he holds on to the ball for slightly too long. If he just releases it, we don't get caught in possession there. And the thing that's frustrating about that particular scenario, that situation, is because he's done all the hard work to win the ball back, only to give it up because he wouldn't release it a few seconds earlier. And as I said, I thought he looked the most likely if anybody was going to do anything for Arsenal today and cause Liverpool any problems, it was going to be Gabriel Martinelli. He was brilliant overall again, but... Just that lack of maturity, I think, shone through in that particular moment. And these are the kind of things that happen with young players. We saw Lokonga play a couple of passes across his penalty area that were a little bit risky, sometimes take too long on the ball. Those are the kind of things you're going to get, um, you know, when, when you've got a young 
and and developing an up and coming team. But listen, Liverpool deserve a lot of praise tonight as well, because similarly to the way they played against Brentford at the weekend, they were functional without being at their best, without being anywhere near their best. You know, for large periods, um, for large periods, they didn't create anything in the first half, barring the goal, which was a, a was a, was created essentially by an Arsenal player slipping over. Um, they didn't do anything. They didn't work anybody. They didn't work Ramsdale. They didn't work the defenders. And they looked largely ineffective in that sense. But when the moments came, they took them and they didn't give us anything. And and that's what you do. You know, the very basic is you make yourself defensively solid. You make yourself stable. Um, and, and that's kind of the the best basis and foundation from which you can go on and win football matches. But once you go a goal down, you know, you have to take risks. You have to start opening up. We did take risks. We did start to open up. We did become a little bit more, um, I guess, unorganised in the way we approached uh, the, you know, the second half. We had to because we were losing, as I say. But that's why you get that gaping hole that Jota goes through in for the second goal. Um, you know, I've seen some people sort of criticise Ramsdale's positioning for that. And I think one of the things that you have to kind of take into consideration and, and think about when discussing Aaron Ramsdale's part in that second goal is that actually his job is to be in a more advanced position. His part of his role is to be a support to the centre-backs, to the full-backs, someone that they can play the ball back to and someone who's going to play uh, like a bit of a sweeper-keeper at times. So Ramsdale's starting position was a bit high, but that starting position has brought us many benefits, him clearing things, him being involved, him being able to be more accurate in his distribution because the distance from which he's playing the pass to its destination is much shorter. So I think that's just part of what Ramsdale's instructed to do. It's part of his game. It's one of the characteristics that Mikel Arteta and Arsenal would have looked at and said, yeah, that 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 will do us. We'll have him. Um, so you can't spin that as a negative now. Does it have drawbacks at times? Yeah, of course it does. But overall, there's more positive um, sort of connotations to that, you know, that high position from which he starts than there are negative. So... Yeah, I mean, interesting. Look, I'll go back to the, the point I made right at the top of the show. You know, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. That's exactly how I feel. Did I expect us to beat Liverpool over two legs going into the tie? No. Did I feel really optimistic, though, having gone to Anfield and got a nil-nil draw? Yeah. And did I allow myself to fall fall into that kind of pit of optimism? Yeah, maybe. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, what's the point? What's the point in um, in supporting and following and, and getting behind a team if you don't believe? You've got to believe. Unfortunately, tonight, Arsenal didn't turn up. Arsenal didn't perform anywhere near as well as we can. And that's what makes it disappointing that we do know that Arsenal can play at a much higher level than that. And we didn't see it tonight. I want to talk a little bit about Alexander Lacazette um, because he is a player who I also think didn't look with it tonight. You know, he, he he got that book in fairly early on. He was, as I say, walking a disciplinary tightrope. Did that impact the way he could challenge for things? Yeah. A couple of moments where he had fouls given against him and you're sitting there thinking, shit, not another one, not another red card. But yeah, I just think with Lacazette, you know, there are a lot of positives that he brings to the team. 
you know, the, the way he drops off deep, his attitude, his spirit, his work rate. But I think tonight against elite opposition, and I'm talking about coming up against the top back four in, in Robertson, Van Dyke, Matip, um, and of course, Trent Alexander-Arnold, and then Konate when he comes on to replace Matip. If you go back to that chance that Lacazette missed at the start of the second half, probably the best chance Arsenal created all night. You look at that and the more you watch it, the more you think this guy has to hit the target there. And and my kind of thoughts on that particular moment and that particular pattern of play um, indicate to me that this is a guy who... You know, we, we talked about him before, maybe isn't as prolific as he should be, never really has been in an Arsenal shirt. But what it kind of shows me and tells me is that he doesn't really believe in himself as a centre forward, um, doesn't really believe in his own ability, isn't as calm and composed in front of goal as you need him to be. And, um, you know, that that's a problem for me. Did the fact that he was physically destroyed at that point play a part in the decision he made to take the shot on early I think it does but even still I think we've we've always seen signs that Lacquer isn't as prolific as we need our centre forward to be and obviously there's a lot of talk about Vlavic during this window and, and we'll have to wait and see if anything materialises on that or if indeed Arsenal go out and get someone else we heard tonight just before the game that Arsenal were looking at a goalkeeper from the MLS uh, currently playing his football at New England Revolution. And i got to say, I don't know an awful lot about him. So I'm sure we'll do a little bit more of a deep dive on one of Friday's shows uh, and go down that rabbit hole a little bit further. But it's it's clear, it was clear to me tonight that when we play against the very best opposition and the very best centre-halves, we need a striker who's going to give them more to think about. And when you consider what Lacazette showed tonight, I think that Van Dyke, Konate, Matip, whoever it was, I think they all had an easy ride. He never posed a threat to them physically, i.e. when we went long. He never caused anybody any problems. He never backed into people as much as he does usually. And even if he does against two physical lumps like those guys, he's going to have very little joy. He doesn't possess the kind of pace that you can play him in behind with and he can cause you a problem, make you turn and chase back towards your own goal. He doesn't do that. Doesn't really have that guile uh, in and around the penalty area to kind of drop a shoulder, lose a man, create half a yard of space and get a shot off. And it, it just felt to me like I was I was watching it really closely. It just felt to me like the two Liverpool centre-halves just had a, a free ride all night. And and that is unacceptable. You need to put them under pressure. You need to make them feel when they're at the Emirates Stadium in particular that, you know, they, they're on edge. You need to put them on edge. You need to unsettle them, unnerve them. And I just never felt that Lacazette did that at any point. Going back to that missed chance, when the ball goes over the top and he brings it down, I mean, listen, I played as a striker and obviously not at Premier League level or, or anything like that. But when I saw it initially, my first thought was, right, you've taken a first touch, but you haven't really set yourself with that first touch. You need another touch. You need another touch to set up the best possible situation from which you can finish. And he doesn't do that. 
he just snatches at it. As soon as he takes that first touch, he snatches at the opportunity and he puts it over the top of the post, uh, over the top of the crossbar. Why does he snatch at it? Is it because he's so tired that he's just his decision making's gone, that he doesn't feel he's got it in him to take another good touch before getting the shot off? Does he panic? I don't think it's panic. I don't think it's a lack of composure. You're not talking about a young kid who's come onto the pitch for the first time and his eyes have lit up and he's just snatched at it. Talking about a very experienced campaigner. I think it's a lack of belief in some of his own attributes. And I think the fact that you're playing uh, against somebody like Virgil van Dijk, who is in the vicinity, but, you know, it isn't close enough really to you to have that much of an impact. The fact that he's playing there, I think, plays on Lacazette's mind. But if Lacazette's giving him, if you're a striker and you're giving the centre-half trouble all night, you feel confident, you feel like you're the one forcing the issue, like you're the one at the top of your game. And maybe you're a little bit more confident and maybe you make a different decision on that basis. But he doesn't feel he has the pace once he takes that first touch to accelerate away from a defender and create a, a better opportunity. He doesn't um, feel like he clearly has the physical attributes to hold off somebody like Virgil van Dijk if he comes breathing down his neck. And I think all of those things, a lack of confidence in front of goal, um, you know, a lack of belief in his in his pace, in his physicality, a fear of Virgil van Dijk. I think all of those factors I've just mentioned come into the player's mind. And that's why he snatches at the chance and he misses it. And sometimes you need to be cold in that situation. You need to block out everything that's going on around you. Stay composed. Position yourself in such a way that if the centre-half does want to get something on the ball, he's going to have to go through you and he's going to have to take you out. The last man. And then, of course, there are consequences to that. And I just, at that moment, Vlavic came to mind. And I was looking at it and I was thinking, what would Vlavic do? Now, I'm not even saying that we're going to get the player. But what would an elite striker with a far bigger physical presence do in that situation? I think he takes another touch and sets it onto his, you know, stronger foot at a much better angle and positions himself, uses his frame, uses his body in a way that means no defender is getting anywhere near it unless they go through him. And and that is what I believe somebody like Vlavic would have done in that situation. So although I, I, I adore Alexander Lacazette and I would give him a short-term deal because I think he brings so much to the squad, I just think that tonight was a, a real example of why, although this team has improved in a lot of areas, if we don't get ourselves a top centre forward, we're never going to be able to finish things off. Not against the big sides, not enough, not frequently enough. You know, at this point, you don't know whether he's finishing his dinner when he's in front of goal. Um, and, and that's not meant to be like, oh, you know, let's take the piss out of an Arsenal player. But you just, you're just never convinced with him. And, and that's a big problem for me. Yeah, there are other things he brings to the team. But there have, there have got to be forwards out there that can bring you those things to the team if it's coached into them, but also bring you a coldness, a calmness and and a, a killer instinct in front of goal. And I just think that Laka, um, Laka lacks that, i got to say. Let's take a few of your questions uh, between now and the end of the show. We'll go for around about 10 more minutes. So let's take some of your questions. Apologies, it's not the longest episode this evening, but I am absolutely shattered and we will be back tomorrow to discuss it in uh, to discuss it all in more detail. Uh, just a quick message from our sponsors if you're listening via the audio platforms. 
Right, let's take some of your questions from the live chat box. Let's see what you've got for me. Uh, keep them coming. Pop them in the chat while you guys are doing that. Make sure you hit the like button on the video. There's over 300 of you with us live right now, which is incredible because it's midnight here in the UK. Uh, just over 300 of you watching. Smash the like button if you haven't done so already. We've only got 62 likes on the board, which is just not good enough. We should be over the 100 mark. There's enough of you watching, and it really, really does help. Also, subscribe to the channel if you are new. If you'd like to go one further and support me in bringing you more Arsenal content and for an opportunity to get onto our members podcast, you can sign up and become a member and support me here to continue with this channel and with this podcast. Right, let's take some of those questions um, Diogene says, will Martinelli become world-class under Mikel? It's a really good question because I think there was a lot of talk last season around Mikel and, and his relationship with Martinelli. And there were a lot of people that felt that actually Arteta was holding Martinelli back. I would argue that I think Martinelli now, today, is a much more complete player than he was 12 months ago. I think tactically... He's got better. I think positionally, he's improved. I think, although I said that he held on to the ball uh, a little bit too long in the lead up to Liverpool's second goal, I think he's got better at making those decisions in general. Um, I talked about it earlier in the season that it feels like he used to be a guy that played at 100 miles an hour from zero to minute 70 and then was dead on his feet. Whereas now he's kind of learned to pace himself a little bit more and and, and he's been able to maintain those bursts of pace and, and the, the physical, obviously, side of his game uh, for much longer. And that's because he's, he's sort of being more game efficient. He's managing himself better within games. Look, I'm not going to sit there and say that Martinelli wasn't a great player prior to Mikel Arteta's arrival, because I think even under Unai Emery, there were signs of what a top guy, uh, a top player, sorry, this young guy could become. But I think you have to give Mikel Arteta some praise, uh, as opposed to criticising him over the way he's kind of coached Martinelli behind the scenes and then given him the opportunities now. And as long as Martinelli's repaying that, then he's going to keep playing. And he is playing at the moment. So I, I think, you know, he's got a good chance of of achieving great things in the game, regardless of who his coach is. But of course, um, I, I do think Mikel's doing a good job with him. And I think Mikel was credited with a lot of Raheem Sterling's development, a similar player who played from the left wing, not similar in terms of all his attributes, but obviously played from the left wing, wanted to get in field a bit more and score more goals and be more involved in that sense. And I think he's doing a, a good job with uh, with young Martinelli. Um, Fred Atai says, do you think it was right to bring on Partey? Look, I think it's really easy to say it wasn't now that he got himself sent off. Um, but at the time, I thought we needed it. I thought we needed a bit more stability in the midfield. I felt like we were getting overrun. The game was being controlled. And although Partey may not have been at his peak physically, having just returned from the AFCON, you felt that he could give you um, a little bit more experience, a little bit more professionalism in that particular area of the park. Look, people will say it wasn't because of the fact that he got sent off and now he's suspended and, and he and Granite Xhaka are both suspended now for the game against Burnley. But I would argue that Mikel Arteta wasn't to know that he'd get himself sent off the way he did. So I'm not going to, you know, really kind of um, 
stick the knife in or stick the boot in on that. I think it's unfair. Um, the Mikel Arteta talk, uh, one of our members, hope you're well, man, uh, says, question for Harry, do you think we can get top four? I think we can. Will we? Not sure. Um, but that's not based on tonight. My opinion on whether Arsenal could get the top four has always been we can, but it would be a great achievement and it would be a very, very positive season because, and the reason for that is because at the start of the season, I didn't think that that was a realistic aim. I thought it should, let me rephrase that. I thought it should be the aim, but I didn't think it was something that we were kind of nailed on to do or something that we should necessarily expect. Um, so yeah, we can we can get the top four, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be different. Uh, it's going to be difficult. You know, it's not going to be easy. Let's take uh, a few uh, more uh, of your questions. Uh, Lucas eighty one AFC Guna Forever says, "Happy birthday to your missus! Thank you very much, mate." Um, I incurred the wrath by going to the game. Well, no, to be fair, she was cool about it, but you know, you leave your missus on her birthday to go to a football match. The the last thing you want is to get beat and to come home in a bad mood as well. Uh, but he goes on to say, I, I just think we lack fitness. And remember, players been out with COVID. No players brought with AFCON going on. They knew about that. Probably won't read this one out. No, I will. <laughs> I did. There you go. I did read it out. Thank you very much, Lucas. Uh, Miles says, why is Arteta forcing unfit players to play instead of giving a chance to a youngster from the academy? Look at Liverpool. They've always gone to their academy without hesitation. Miles, you're talking about a club that literally um, got a bunch of fake positive tests to get the game called off because they didn't fancy playing it. They didn't feel that they were at top strength. You say that they go to their academy. The players that played from their academy tonight or the player that started was that young uh young Gordon right where did he play he played as part of a front three with a midfield uh, of experienced campaigners in behind him with Liverpool's first choice back line uh you know with Roberto Firmino and Diogo Jota alongside him up top you can pick one or two players from your academy and chuck them in and it doesn't have all that much of an impact but you forget that a lot of the players that are playing in Arsenal's team would be in academies at other clubs Mikel Arteta has given plenty of youth a chance it's a completely unfair criticism to say that he doesn't give youth a chance he chucked Charlie Patino in at Nottingham Forest look how that went so I don't think Mikel Arteta's wrong in the way he's handling things. He's got a very limited uh, group of options at the moment. A lot of that is our own doing because of what we've done in terms of letting players go. But were we supposed to pause all the travel? The all I kind of hear from Arsenal moment is about how we need to, um, you know, we need to bring players in. We need to bring this player in and that player in. I think what a lot of people don't realise is that we're still owned by KSC. The wheel hasn't changed overnight. The wheel's not been reinvented. We still need to move players out and get them off our wage bill to bring others in. And so moving on Kalasinac, moving on Pablo Marie temporarily, moving on Ainsley Maitland-Niles, moving on potentially Burn Leno, if, if that's true as well. This is, yes, it's 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 kind of damaging the squad and the depth and, and obviously limiting us in our options, but it's the necessary 
action to, to, that needs to be taken prior to being able to bring in more players, more players that Mikel Arteta feels fit in with what he, he does, uh, of what he's trying to do, etc., etc. I think it's, like, it's so, you look at Liverpool and they chuck one or two in here and there. Um, and and they do that more so when they play against weak opposition. But that, it's a completely different thing. They've got a stable, secure side of experienced players. Even our back line, Tommy Asu, you know, Ben White, Ramsdale. These are young guys. People forget that. Um, they really, really do. Let's see what else we've got. Um. Wandering Minstrel says, thanks, Harry, and all the gooners here. I'm off to bed. I'm sea fishing in five hours' time. Enjoy. Enjoy. Probably a lot more therapeutic than uh, listening to us moan about Arsenal, to be fair. Uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> agree with this from Izzy. We have the youngest team in the Prem anyway. We can't go much younger. If we go anything younger, we'll be taking kids out of school. Um, let's take... I'm going to take one more. Um Zen Ming Lo says, why are we always in a pattern of terrible results then a month of good results? What can we do to be more consistent? It's tough. You know, that's the kind of million dollar question. If 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 Mikel Arteta had the kind of the antidote to our inconsistency, I'm sure he'd apply it. But I guess it's something that we should expect when we're talking about a group of young players. Um, there've been outside factors, players missing COVID cases, injuries, being on our knees, having to kind of push players to a limit beyond what we'd probably like to in an ideal world in terms of their physical uh, conditions. Look, at the end of the day, I think that, and I've said this before, and, and this will kind of be my mantra throughout the season, and I'll say it time and time again, and you've heard it many times before, and you'll continue to hear it over the course of the season. There will be setbacks. You know, there always is in football. But I think for me, the big thing is how we react to those setbacks and how quickly we respond to them and how good we are at making sure that we get over them quickly, i.e. we need to win on Sunday. You go out there, you beat Burnley, a team that you should be beating at home. You get back on track in the Premier League and all of a sudden the pain doesn't go away from the defeat in the semi-final but you start to be able to live with it and move forward. And um, and then you have confidence that the next time a setback comes along, once again, you'll be able to rise up and get through it. And that's really, really important because when your confidence is really low, you feel really low after games and then you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You can't understand how you're going to get out of it. But if you continuously go through that, if you continuously bounce back, it toughens you up mentally because when you, then when you next suffer a setback, which you will, it's the nature of the game and the sport, you will then be in a, in a headspace where you're going, okay, I'm in a bad place. We're in a bad place. We've had a bad night. We've had a bad day, a bad performance, whatever it might be. But we know that we can go out next week and we can bounce back because we've done it time and time again. And I think that's really key. I think that's a, a, a part of the mental side of sport that maybe gets overlooked. I think setbacks will be there for every sportsman in every sport. How many sportsmen in the world have never had a setback? There's very few. But those who suffer those setbacks and then recover from them the quickest tend to be the ones that stand out and the elite. 
and you learn from each defeat you learn from each setback from each experience and in that you learn how to be better going forward so yeah look um i'd love us to be more consistent of course i would but i'd, I'd be lying if i said it I, I didn't feel that this was there or i didn't expect this to be there because we just you know it feels like with Arsenal right now, when we win a game of football, we're we're right up here, and we feel like you know we've really, um, we've crossed the line. You know, we uh, sorry, we've we've turned the corner and we're there and we're going forward. And then when we lose, it's like oh no no, forget all the good work we've done over the last few months. It's all gone. It's disappeared. It's been written off because we lost this one game of football. It needs to not be so reactionary. You can lose a game without it meaning that everything you've done in the last three months was was pointless. And you can also, um, you know, win a game without it meaning that you're the best team in the country. That That's the point I'm trying to make. And, and I'm guilty of getting sucked in because I really do uh, feel invested in this side. As I've said to you guys before, I got guilty of getting sucked into the idea that we were the favourites somehow to go through in this tie. You know, we weren't. It was a straight-up shootout, a one-off game with Liverpool, who are a much better side than us. We were never the favourites, but we believed. And the fact that we did believe is an indication that we're moving in the right direction because two years ago, nobody would have believed. But we feel like we're getting there. We feel like these young players are developing. They're learning. They're getting better week on week. And, and you know, there's a lot of love for them. And I think that's um, that's contributing to it. So I'm going to finish up the podcast there because it is late. It's quarter past 12 and I've got a really long day, busy day tomorrow um, in which I'll be recapping a lot of this, talking about uh, Arsenal, talking about some transfer bits as well. Plenty of content coming your way. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to um, get the podcast recorded, get my thoughts out there. Uh, hear from some of you guys in the chat as well. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. As I said right at the top of the show, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Catch you all soon. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.